0: and open it to the book of Acts. You know that we have been um, reading through the book of Acts the past few months, and it's been wonderful. And uh, I hope that uh, you'll be able to grab something from uh, tonight's uh, section that we're reading and something that'll bless you and something that'll encourage you. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, or, did we talk? Was I preaching last Wednesday night? Was I here? Well, that's right. We ate Thanksgiving. Right. <laughs> I knew it wasn't last week. It's been a bit of a whirlwind for me. I'd like to say I was just in the spirit so much I forgot, but it's just not that you know what it's like. So a couple weeks ago, we left off with the Council at Jerusalem. And uh, the Council of Jerusalem was all about... uh, was all about whether or not the Gentiles could be welcomed into the fold, whether or not they could fully uh, be part of the church, or whether they had to be a little bit more Jewish. But as you know, the Scripture had, had instructed them that there was a new and living way, that Jesus was their sacrifice, that, that they were circumcised in the heart. And uh, the, not only did the Scripture back it up, but uh, the experiences of Peter and of Paul and of Barnabas backed it up as well. So we leave off at that point, and we find ourselves right after Acts chapter 15, we find ourselves with the, um, the after effect, we're still in Acts chapter 15, but as they all go back to their own homes and their own churches, uh, there's a letter being sent out to all the Gentile churches, telling them, telling the Gentiles, we welcome you in, um, giving them some brief instructions, but the Bible tells us that when that letter came back to Antioch, for instance, because Antioch was one of the first churches that was planted from a group of people preaching to Greeks And uh, Jews alike, and not just one group of people, but it was a very wonderful mixed group. And so when that letter hit Antioch, it says the believers rejoiced. They got excited. And that's exactly what should have happened. And so after this, Paul and Barnabas have come back to Antioch. And the one thing you've got to know that maybe, maybe you don't know if you just read through the book of Acts, but when we read through Paul's letters to the Galatians, we find out that before the council at Jerusalem... Even Peter and Barnabas had been swayed by what they called the Judaizers. The Judaizers just meant the, the Jewish religious folks that thought everybody needed to be a little bit more Jewish. And Paul, and, uh, sorry, Barnabas and Peter even stopped eating with the Gentiles because the Gentiles didn't keep strict religious Jewish codes. So, by the Old Testament law, if Peter and Barnabas were to eat with these Gentiles in the manner they ate with the, those people without them becoming Jews, then Peter and Barnabas were unclean. Now, you'll remember that Peter had a vision from God, and when God said, don't call anybody unclean that I've cleansed, he, in fact, even showed him a bunch of foods he wanted him to kill and to eat, and he had to show it to him three times Because just like you and me, sometimes we're thick headed and we got to hear something more than once before we believe it, before we'll receive it, before we'll accept it, right? So three times Peter gets this vision and coincidentally or non-coincidentally, three guys show up at his door right as the last third vision is done. So Peter already knows that he's not supposed to call anybody unclean and for him to say, I'm not going to eat with you is sort of a rejection of what Jesus has already demonstrated to him, that he's making the two into one. Paul says there was a sharp disagreement. Now, this happened right before the council at Jerusalem. This was at Antioch. There was a sharp disagreement, so much so, that Paul stuck his finger in Peter's face and said, You're wrong. Now, that's a big deal, because Paul seems like a big deal to us now. But at the time, Peter was a bigger deal. And so you can imagine going up to, now say you're, you're uh, uh, somebody that you admire, greatly a minister that you admire, somebody that's had an effect on your life, you can imagine going up to them and saying, love you, but you're wrong. Yeah. you Think of how easy that might be, right? That's a, that's a fun conversation. Now, some people like a fight. Some people just like to pick fights. But you know what? I, I think it, it, for most cases, we, we genuinely love one another. We genuinely love one another. We genuinely respect those that God's placed in our life. And most of us don't want to be the guy that says you're wrong. Paul did this. So they got their act together before the council of Jerusalem. We know this because at the council, Peter stands up and says, he's right. Let me tell you about my vision. Then let me tell you about what happened at Cornelius' house when all these Gentiles got filled with the Holy Spirit before we could do anything about it. Then Barnabas comes up and stands next to Paul and says, he's right. When we went on a missionary journey, God did all these things amongst the Gentiles. So by the time the council at Jerusalem has happened, Barnabas and Peter are on board. But I can imagine there might be some tender feelings here and there. So by the time the council's done, they go back to Antioch. Paul and Barnabas have made up. They've kissed and made up. They're all buddies now. And uh, they come back. And here's where we leave off. In uh, verse 35 of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others, also the word of the Lord. And it says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So that's part of the work of an apostle. It's not just to start something. It's to make sure it's still standing and to go and check up on it. And it's not like today where you could set up a quick FaceTime, Skype call, and and you'd know. So let's go visit them. Let's see how things are. Barnabas thinks it's a good idea. So they do this in verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with him also. Now, if you'll remember back a few chapters, back a couple chapters, there's just a real short little section. There's not much said about it. But as they're going, to, to, they're, they're going through some tough places, they're going through some rough areas, it just, there's just a small sentence that says, John, but John did not go with them. He went back home. John sometimes called, his name was John Mark, so sometimes we call him Mark, sometimes we call him John. He's the one we believe that wrote the book of Mark. Now, he wasn't there when Jesus did all the things in the book of Mark, but he was uh, kind of a disciple or um, somebody that sat under Peter's teaching and learned from Peter. And so uh, the book of Mark, if you, if you can believe it, is most likely uh, a lot of Peter's firsthand experiences. Now, I'm sure he, he took from other sources as well, but a lot of the things you read in the book of Mark is not what Mark saw, it's what Peter saw. This is what we believe, at least. I can't tell you that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Anyways, John Mark goes home. Now, you might not think that's a big deal. But think of it this way. Now, we when you're kind of, we're all Wednesday, at a Wednesday night service. If somebody left early, wouldn't be the end of the world. I, w- I don't want you to leave early. I, depending on how you leave, if you leave stomping out, I might get my feelings hurt. But if you leave because, you know, the baby's crying or, you know, you, you have a meeting, so, well, all right, it's fine. But when you're going out on the front lines of a mission trip, and you're breaking new ground, and there's opposition, and there's people that don't like you, and there's people that hate you, and there's people that are scared of you, there's people that, you know, all of this that you're dealing with, and somebody leaves halfway through. It hurts the whole group, and you feel betrayed, you feel let down. So when Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him, Paul immediately did not like this. Because John Mark had wimped out, he flaked out on him. And who's going to know if he's going to do it again? Here's what what it says. Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So it's not, you don't see Paul saying, even though it might be in the back of his mind, who's to say this guy's not going to do it again? Who's to say he's not going to flake out on us again? But here he's just saying, you know what? He wasn't there with us. He quit on us. He can't come now. And so there's a sharp disagreement. It says here, there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, I've heard sermons of both sides. I've heard a guy Preach why, why Paul was right and Barnabas was a wimp. I've heard people say Paul was stubborn and Barnabas was right. Uh, but I think they were both a little right and they're both a little wrong. I think anytime there's a sharp disagreement like this, anytime there's a lot of strife, there's probably some pride involved. And I imagine there's pride on both sides. You know, it's hard because when we read the book of Acts, it's much easier if you just assume everybody's Right? Okay, everything that Paul did was right. Everything that Peter did was right. But we've just been through a whole chapter of people disagreeing, and they can't disagree and all be right. And you're forced in this section to go, who's right? And guess what? The Bible's not going to help you. I'm, I'm not, it will help you. It will always help you. What I'm saying is, <laughs> let me rephrase that, because I might as well leave now. <laughs> What I'm saying is the Bible's not going to give you an extra hint on this. It it's, leaves it a little vague. Gosh. The Bible is of, of utmost help to us. Don't throw me out. There's no extra hidden clues here. It doesn't tell us, and Paul was right, and Barnabas was right. They could both be right, and they could both be wrong. But it does say this. Paul went off. And now I've heard some people say, well, this is the last we hear of Barnabas, so he must have been wrong. Well, if you haven't noticed, the book of Acts from, from way back, a few chapters back, it, it starts talking about the church, then talks about Peter, and then pretty much Paul the, the rest of the way through. And that's because Luke wrote it, and he's traveling with Paul, and there's something that God wanted to tell us about Paul's missionary journeys to the Gentiles. And so the book of Acts is not telling everybody's story. It's only telling one story at a time. So the fact that Barnabas doesn't show up, that's just simply because he wasn't with Paul anymore. So they went a separate way. I assume Barnabas had good meetings over in in Cyprus. I assume things went well, because in a moment we're going to see some of the after effects. But what we do know is Paul felt betrayed. He said, I'm not letting this kid, this kid can't be trusted. He's not coming with us. And Barnabas, who's actually John Mark's cousin, Said, no, let's, let's take them along. Let's give them a second chance. Now, we've got both of those kinds of people in the church, don't we? You got those that are mission-minded. We've got a mission. Nothing comes before the mission. I'm throwing you in the ditch. I'm throwing you in the ditch, but we're getting there. There may be a trail of bodies, but we're getting there. There are those in the church that are saying the mission's important, but what's the mission if, they're, if without people? Because we, we stand up before Jesus at the end, and he's not going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, you killed everybody. He's going to, you know, kind of, the mission is people, right? So you got two different kinds of people, and, and we can all live and cohabitate in the same building, in the same church, in the same body of Christ. In fact, the body needs both of these people. We got to remember people are important. People are why Jesus died. We also got to remember, you know, some people need a kick in the pants every now and then. These are things that, there's no scripture for that, but there's there's some, it's in the message. But here's what we do know, and tonight I I just like to, we're going to not focus on Paul because we're going to get a lot of Paul in the next few weeks, but for a moment I'd like to focus on Barnabas. And just talk a little bit about maybe why he did what he did. Because one thing we got to know, and one thing you probably do know from reading this, is that by the time the book of Colossians is written, Paul mentions John Mark. And he says, give him greeting when he comes to you. And he says, I've already written you orders and instructions about this guy that when he comes, you welcome him. So by the time Colossians is written, this guy's already a hero. He's somebody, at least, that Paul is giving his stamp of approval. He doesn't do that for everybody. He's already saying, this is somebody you should listen to. This is somebody you should welcome. This is somebody I'm I'm telling you, you can trust this guy. That's a big deal. Now, here, I want to show you something else, as many of you know. Later, when Paul writes his letters in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'll just read it to you. In verse 9, uh, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So once again, Paul's being deserted. This time it's, it's more severe. Because if you, if you read this, the letter to Timothy, he talks about standing alone on trial and nobody stood with him. Nobody, nobody showed up got to be heartbreaking. He says, he doesn't really tell you why these other people left, but he does say Demas left because he loved this present world a little too much. He loved the world so much that he just didn't want to stick it out with Paul. He left. That's tough. So Paul is saying, will you come? Come and see me. I need you. Then in verse 11, he says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark. And bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. So by this time, the guy that he didn't want to have anything to do with, at the end of his life, he's saying, when everybody leaves me, when everybody's forsaken me, you come, Timothy. He's got Timothy. He's got Luke. These are like his his inside circle. And he says, bring Mark, because he's useful for me in the ministry. He's a useful guy. He helps me. He blesses me. And he could depend that that when Mark is told, come on with me, let's go, Paul needs us, that Mark would go. So this is a a long long time has passed, but you can see a lot has changed. Now, I want you to imagine what might have happened had Barnabas not stuck with John Mark. We can't tell, it's all speculation, but there's a good chance he wouldn't be the man he is now if somebody hadn't stuck with him. Now, whether or not he should have been on the missionary journey, I can't tell you that. It might have been the best thing for him to sit that one out. What is good is that somebody saw in him what nobody else saw in him. Somebody saw in him what he himself was not displaying and was willing to stick with him a little bit. Barnabas, this is his nature. All we see of Barnabas is a man who is thinking about other people pretty much all the time. Now, I'm not saying he's always right, but there are some things we can learn from that guy. As you know, his name wasn't even Barnabas. His name was Joseph. Barnabas meant son of encouragement. They started calling him son of encouragement. Can you imagine being such an encourager that we just figure we have to change your name? We have to call you something different? Joseph's a pretty good name. There's some, the two Josephs I know are pretty big. Now, well, there's, there's other Josephs, but I mean the two big ones. I'm not talking about Joseph of Arimathea, but let's talk about Joseph uh, in, in the Bible, the son of Jacob. Let's talk about Joseph, the, the father, to, you know, the stepdad of Jesus. These are some pretty big Josephs. That's a good name. And yet, he displayed such characteristics of encouragement that they started calling him something different. In fact, let's look at this at the beginning of Paul's journey. Well, we'll look even before that. I'll read some verses to you in Acts chapter 4. When we first come into contact with Barnabas in Acts 4.36, it says, Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned its tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He's the first guy to do it. Now, of course, most of us know this story because Ananias and Sapphira lied and they died, and it rhymes. <laughs> but this all began, this great move of God for people to be giving, started with Barnabas selling his land and giving it away. We find out later um, in verse nine, uh, sorry, chapter nine. Actually, hold your place in chapter 9. We're going to skip ahead. No, no. Keep going. Sorry. Go to 9. I was right the first time. You know, who needs to talk about two apostles arguing when you can have a guy in front of you arguing with himself? It's even more fun. Acts 9, verse 26. This is, uh, Saul's already begun to preach Jesus, but you guys know Saul's background. Saul was the number one persecutor of Christians. Now I say Saul, this is the guy we've been calling Paul. His name amongst Jewish people was Saul, Shaol. Now some people might tell you that, that he got saved and God changed his name to Paul. But the truth is that Saul grew up in Tarsus. Paulus was his Roman name. Saul was his Jewish name. He was, he was uh, somebody who, who lived in both worlds. And so if God renamed him Paul, that's just God's a giant prankster because Paul just means little guy. So of all the names that God would name somebody, that'd be the worst, you know? I'm changing your name from Saul, an honored name amongst your tribe. What are you changing to, mighty warrior? I'm changing it to tiny one, peewee. Hope you like that. Now, Paulus was his name uh, amongst the Romans. This was his nickname. So he had a, a Roman nickname, and his dad was, was well uh, received. In fact, uh, some history tells us that he received uh, honorary Roman citizenship. That's how Paul got it. So you'll remember when Paul's in jail, and they're, they're whipping him, he says, I'm a Roman citizen. So you shouldn't have whipped me without a trial. Joys of citizenship, right? So Paul was not a name he got when he got saved. It's just, we see a little bit later, after he leaves Antioch, he starts being called Paul because he goes to the Gentiles. Before that, he was amongst the Jews, so we call him Saul. He goes to the Gentiles, we call him Paul. But here, Saul has been the number one persecutor of the church. He hunted them down, he found out where they were meeting, and he dragged them to prison. And some he had executed. So if this guy shows up, peeking his head through those windows right there. The ushers aren't going to say, let's find you a place to sit. Most people are going to be a little nervous. And even if he comes in, we're going to be a little nervous. And it says here, he's preaching Jesus. He's, He's going around preaching the gospel. But in verse 26 of chapter 9, it says, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. So they thought this was his latest trick, his latest scam to find out where everybody was. Remember, it says he hunted them down, which means he found out where they were. He didn't just run into them. He went and found out where they were just so he could arrest them. So they think this is a trick, you know. This guy says he's one of us, but I don't think he is. This is a... This is a logical concern to have, right? But watch what it says. It says, but Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and how he talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So here, he's a guy that's not trusted by anybody. Nobody sees this as a good thing until Barnabas takes hold of Saul. And I don't know if that phrase jumps out at you like it jumps out at me. But I think of somebody taking hold of me. Somebody taking hold of somebody and saying, I am with you. We're together in this, identifying with them. It's not always popular to identify with somebody. It's not popular to grab a hold of them and say, we're together. In fact, you know, the Apostle Paul himself writes about this. He says, don't be ashamed of the gospel or of me. He didn't just say, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Because everybody says, oh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I love Jesus. But he says, don't be ashamed of me. Why would you be ashamed of Paul? Because if you were to identify with him, the same people that hate him hate you. And that's not always easy. You know, it's tough. It's tough when someone is ostracized, pushed to the fringe, when, someone, it, when everybody kind of looks at that person as a bad person, it's the hardest thing in the world to stand beside them and say, I'm still with them. Even... When most people suspect, even when they're falsely accused, even when they're slandered, and you know that what's being said about this person isn't true, even people that believe that they're being falsely accused will back away because they don't want to be painted with the same paintbrush that that person's being painted with. I'll tell you what, a gift of encouragement. We, we talk about gift of encouragement like, you know, every now and then you send a teddy bear with a scripture on it or, you know, you, you send an e-card. Here, here you go. I was thinking about you today. That's cool. But the, the, the biblical encouragement is so much deeper than that. It's taking a hold of somebody when they're weak and about to fall down and saying, I'm with you. Stand up. I can help you. I'm not going to let you fall. You can do this. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. This is, this is what we need. And some of you, now we all, we all have the Holy Spirit, the spirit of encouragement within us. So it's easy to say, well, they've got the gift of encouragement. Let them do it. But I think we've all got something. And we should all be encouragers. But there are those that are specifically in the body that just do it better than anybody else. And these are good people to have around. These are people that can see somebody for who they are and maybe who they're not yet, but who they're going to be because that's who God called them to be. And they see that and they refuse to give up on them even when everyone else has. I respect Barnabas for taking Saul and taking a hold of him and putting his own reputation on the line. You realize that if Saul turns out to be a traitor, Barnabas' neck is on the line. But he takes him and he stands him and he puts his arm around him and stands before the apostles and said. And, and it says here that Barnabas told Saul's story. He tells them about the road to Damascus. He tells them about the Lord speaking. He tells them about how Paul has been preach, Saul has been preaching wherever he went. See, this is the kind of guy that changed Saul's life because before this, Saul was trying to associate and no one would have anything to do with him till somebody took hold of him. Yes. We need people like this in the church today. Yes. I'm going to tell you it's it's hard because you have to look past who they are right now. Sometimes we have to look past what we can see because John Mark was a quitter. Obviously Barnabas saw something beyond who he was right then. And it says if we were to go further I know this is all stuff we read, but I think it'd be beneficial to read again in Acts chapter 11. When the church in Antioch began, you'll recall this. This church just started from a bunch of people from Cyprus and Cyrene and those areas, just started to preach to Greeks and Jews alike, and the church took off but they had no formal leadership. These were guys that started the church because they were scattered. They were running away from Saul's persecution, ironically. That's how this church began. Saul started persecuting the church, so the church scattered from Jerusalem. These guys scattered all the way to Syria, started a church, and guess who becomes one of their main teachers later on? (laughs) Isn't that God's sense of humor? sense of justice and compassion. But it says here, that, so they start the church, but they don't have any formal leaders. These guys were just running from something. They start, they start witnessing to people. People start getting saved. People start getting healed. Demons start coming out. So they just go, well, we got a bunch of believers. What do we do? Well, we gather together. Okay, church, we've got it. You know, this is what they did. They didn't have any apostles or, or prophets or anything like that. They just had people that loved Jesus. And so then here's what happens. The, the apostles in Jerusalem realize they need some guidance. They need some leadership. So they send Barnabas down. It says, the news in verse 22, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived, he witnessed the grace of God. He rejoiced, and he began to encourage them all. You see, this is his default setting. He rejoices and he begins to encourage them with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. And you see, I see this as more than just preaching to them. When I see that encouragement, I think he's using his words. But I think there's something in those words that's actually giving them strength they don't have. I think this is a guy that's willing to stick it out with them. He sees what this place could be. He sees what these these group of people could be. In verse 24, it says, For he was a good man. And he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You see that? You don't just get a a cheerleader to come and pump these guys up because that will go away. You can get somebody to stand up there and get them excited for a little bit. Have a couple meetings where people are jumping up and down and shouting. But what you need is somebody that's going to give them something that will cause them to stand even when there's persecution. And when there's things that come against them, they'll still be standing because somebody encouraged them. Encourage means to give strength to, to give heart. And this is what happened. He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord. And here's why. For he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Now, that full of the Holy Spirit and of faith really comes into, into context. It really becomes clear when you see how he treats people. He sees beyond who they are, and he has that faith that God's called them to be something that, that other people can't see. Considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. In verse 25, and he left for Tarsus. To look for Saul. Do you remember they, the, the, the apostles had sent, the brethren had sent Saul off to Tarsus where he'd be safe. Barnabas remembers him. There's a great move of God. Barnabas goes and finds him and brings him back to the people that ran away from him. And says, you need to see what God's doing. I love that. You need to see what God's doing. This move right here started a chain reaction. Barnabas is often seen as a little throwaway character. He plays a little part and then he's gone. But you really think about it. This move brought Saul to Antioch, which caused him to continue to teach and to preach, but it also was the launching pad where Barnabas and Paul would go off on the first missionary journey, which led to the second, which led to the third. See, this little move right here might have been the beginning of everything that God had called, really truly called Saul or Paul to do. He left Tarsus to look for Saul in verse 26. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, as we've read before, it was not long after that that the prophets came down and and, uh, some of the teachers came down and they were having a, A time of ministering to the Lord. And the Lord said, set apart Barnabas and Saul and send them off on this missionary journey. And that's exactly what God did. So here's the beautiful thing. There is a man who thought about not just where somebody was spiritually, not just what they were showing, but thought about what they could be. Thought about what God had said about them. And he was willing to put his neck on the line several times. He does it when he takes hold of Saul. He does it when he takes him, goes and finds him. Can you imagine this, guys? He doesn't know where he is. This is not just simply hop on a plane to Tarsus. This is a long journey. He leaves his place and he goes to find him. He asks around until he can find him. And he brings him back. So is it any wonder that when John Mark is kicked off the team, that somebody like Barnabas sticks with him. And later we see John Mark turned into somebody that God is genuinely using. Now there's a chance. Let me just put a theory to you. Now, I, like I said, this is, this is just my theory. But I believe, that, uh, I believe that John Mark needed a little bit of what Saul gave him and a little bit of what Barnabas gave him. I think John Mark needed to hear a stern rebuke. I think John Mark needed to know it wasn't okay to flake out in the middle of a missionary trip. We're not talking about, let's go, and we're going to stop at Disneyland on the way, and we're going to, you know, do you know the, it wasn't that kind of missionary trip. <laughs> this was like life or death stuff. Now, I realize this life or death no matter where you go. And I realize some of you have done that as well. But I, I'm talking about this wasn't like, let's bring everybody. Let's bring the kids too. This is like, it's tough. It's real tough. The first mission, I mean, I, went, I remember going across the world with my dad and, oh, we're going to a, a, a section of this country, the one section that they say, don't go, don't go, don't Every time we go, they say, don't go. And But at the time we went, there's three different groups trying to kill white people. And this is just the thing at the time, you know. And, and sometimes they'd sell them for ransom and sometimes they just chop their heads off. And this is my first trip across the world with my dad. Now, it was times like that where t- having two guys was the perfect amount. We jump, Two guys jump on the back of a motorbike. we go village to village. We'd stay in, in a little tiny hut. They had an extra little corner that we could stay in. You know, all these things. If you had a bunch of people, it wouldn't work. If you have somebody that's gonna flake out on you, I'm sorry, we, we're just going to have to leave you here, you know, where there's nothing we can do. You know, we can't just leave you at Taco Bell and call somebody to pick you up. You know, this is just, we're in trouble. And you might put us all in danger by being flaky. Our lives are on the line here. I mean, you know it when, you know, you're being escorted by a guy with an ak 47 he's got grenades all down. We're not playing house here. This is serious. And I understand what it's like to say, I can't take somebody that's not fully on board here. And I can't promise you, you know, my mom, her first trip with my dad to a a northern reserve in northern Ontario, dad said, good chance we're going to, I think you were ready to sleep under a bridge. You were just a couple hours away from sleeping under a bridge. This might happen, which is why Jesus said, remember what Jesus said? He wasn't whining about the fact he was homeless. He had a home, but he wasn't at home. He's traveling. And he says, you better be ready. Better count the cost. And one of the things he said is he says, foxes have their dens, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I can't promise you you're going to have a Hilton experience everywhere we go. (laughs) We're in the Middle East. If they like you, they'll let you into their home. If they hate you, (laughs) I don't know what we're going to do. So you need to count the cost before you sign up. Remember, there's a guy that says, Jesus, you know, he calls him, says, can I just bury my, bury my parents first? You know, can we just finish that off? Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Another guy says, can I at least just go say goodbye to them? He says, nobody who starts plowing and then turns back is worthy of my kingdom. So maybe Paul's not all wrong here, but Barnabas isn't either. And it could be that John Mark needed that kick in the pants to say, it's not okay to flake out in the middle of a trip to be homesick and miss mommy or whatever's going on. I don't know what happened. Whatever happened. But he also needed somebody that didn't give up on him the first time he messed up. What I've learned in the body of Christ, many of you have learned it because you've been around for longer than I have. But what we've all learned is that there? Are everybody in the body of Christ is going to mess up once, twice, ten times. And it, it, sometimes it takes us knowing, hey, that's not cool, but we all need somebody who's going to take hold of us and treat us as if we haven't been a total mess up all our lives and treat us as if God still got a plan for us and love us and show us the same unconditional love that Jesus showed us because that's the God we serve he doesn't give up on you the first time you mess up, the second time, the third time, the fourth time. He will continue, continue to bring you back to the place where you can say, I'm ready, let's go again. And he doesn't make you start, from, often he doesn't make you start from the same place you started. He'll bring you, I mean, it's like, uh, somebody used this example before and I think it's a great example. If you've ever been in a plane and, um, you know, there's a storm or something, and they have to get a little bit off. You know, if you're a few degrees off for five minutes, it's not a big deal, but if you're a few degrees off after two hours, you're way off, right? Well, if you have to go off course, the plane doesn't circle back and start at the airport and try again. You plot a new course from where you are, right? You don't, I mean, because you'd be wasting a lot of time if that's the case. So, all right, we're off course, but instead of going back and starting again, let's plot from where we are now. This is the beauty of our God. He's way smarter than us. And you say, well, I got out of God's plan. I've messed it up. You may have. But he's so smart, he's got a lot of plans. And he he actually is not surprised you messed up. He's seen the future. He's been there. He is there. So with everything, he's always now, is it it a good idea? Absolutely. You need to stay in the plan of God. Don't just say, well, it doesn't matter. I'll just get my way back. Now, there's always something you give up. But I'll tell you. Thank God he's got a root back on track. Thank God. So if you're off track, get on track now. But I'm preaching less to the John Marks tonight and more to the Barnabases. And I need you to hear that we all have that within us. There's somebody that needs someone just to take hold of them. And they might be flaky and they might be a little weird and they might be, you know, somebody you don't entirely trust, but you don't need to trust them. You just need to show the love of God to this person and you need to be able to stand with them even when no one else will. Because John Mark that Paul didn't want to have anything to do with is the same John Mark that Paul's saying, when he comes to your church, you welcome him. He's got my approval. And he's the same John Mark at the end of Paul's life when he says, everybody deserted me. Bring Mark. He's useful to me. And I think, thank God, the difference in John Mark's life is the Holy Spirit and Jesus. But the instrument that God used was Barnabas. And we need these people in the church today. And if that's you, you don't need to be ashamed of who you are. It's not our job to teach somebody a lesson. Sometimes it's our job to teach. Sometimes it's our job to correct, to rebuke. All of these things, these are biblical things. It's not your job to punish them because the punishment has been taken. Jesus paid the punishment. He paid the price. He paid the debt. And thank God we're all living on this side of the cross in the victory of Jesus Christ. It's not your job. It's not your job. Your job is to obey the voice of the Lord and see what God sees in someone even when they don't see it in themselves. Amen? Amen? Stand up with me. Lord, we bless you. We thank you, God, that you have given us a body of all different people. You've given us different gifts. You've given us people that, that uh, we need, and sometimes we don't even recognize that need. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us people who care about the mission, care about your name. We all do. People that are devoted and saying, you know what? No matter what happens, no matter who goes with me, though none go with me, still I will follow. Thank God we also have people that say, I would leave the 99 to go get the one. And we know both of these are characteristics that you have. Lord, you went. When everyone forsook you, you still went. When the crowds left you, you still preached. And yet you were also the God who would go after the one lost sheep because you loved that sheep so much. Lord, help us to be more like you. Tonight, we're not asking to be more like Barnabas or Paul. We're asking to be more like you. We're asking to be like you. You've loved us with an everlasting love. You've saved us when we did not deserve saving. Your grace has been abundant when we needed it most. We rely on you, Jesus. We freely admit there have been times we've messed it up. We've... Slipped and we've, we've lost the plot, but you have not forsaken us. You never left us, and you never forsook us. You said that when we are faithless, you remain faithful, for you cannot deny yourself. Lord, we're asking tonight that you would help us to see in other people what you see, to take hold of them, to strengthen the hands that hang down, To bear them up, you said, let the strong bear the failings of the weak. That we would lift them up so that someday they can lift somebody else up. Help us to have that heart of compassion, that love for people that you have. To see what you see. Not to judge after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm tempted to tell you to find somebody, but I don't want them to know that they're your special project, but... God God will bring people in your path. And when they come, always remember, Jesus forgave me of so much. Jesus forgave me of so much. And love will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. God bless you. We love you very much.